0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing Ghost in the Shell 2,
1: Innocence.
0: This is your co-host, Corbin.
1: I'm Alan from Chicago, and today I'm standing.
0: (laughs) This is the follow-up to the 1995 anime hit, Ghost in the Shell... This came out nine years after the first. It came out September 17th, 2004. And it is written and directed by Mamuro Oshi, who created the... Well, he created the movie of the first one. And it looks right. like the same production crew came back. This is also done by Production IG. Also, the music is done by Kenji Kawai.
1: Right. So, yeah, basically returners from the last one... Uh, But this time, um, Funimation bought them out, and I think they did the sub and the dub, because they originally were distributed under Universal, but then Funimation ended up getting the rights um, to this movie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Which is where the Funimation logo came from in the opening. Cool. Yeah.
0: This also has a quite large, larger budget, I should say. Yes. Then the first one, this one has a budget of 20 million and it should be noted that it grossed twice as much this time around. The first time around it grossed over 500,000 here and this time it grossed about 1 million domestically, 8.7 million overseas for a total of 9.7 million. So unfortunately it did not even make half of its budget.
1: Yeah, that seems to be a common trend so far between these two is that they're pretty big hits after the after the theater, right? Um, many years after, but when they release in theater, they're kind of a wash.
0: Yeah, I also noticed uh, under the kind of Wikipedia section where it gives you just the rundown of information, it said it was distributed mm-hmm. by Toho, which are the distributors of all of the original Godzilla movies.
1: Interesting. I guess it kind of makes sense because they're both in Japan. Right. But.
0: Well, and one of the other reasons why these movies, when they come to theaters in the US, are not as big ticket items is because it opened only in 47 theaters. Ooh. Right. Jeez. So, opening weekend, it opened at number 28. On the box office with $317 million, which is actually close to how much the original grossed. Or I'm sorry, $317,000, not million.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 47 theaters, I guess I can see why it didn't make too much money. Um, probably no. There weren't too many theaters that I would think that would want this movie. Right. Because the original didn't do so hot in the in the box office either.
0: Right. It did gain seven more theaters, so its widest release was 55 theaters, which, when you're factoring it out, only makes up for 0.0125% of most US theatrical wide releases. If it's a very wide release, it'll be close to 4,000 theaters, somewhere in that three to four, maybe possibly a little below three, but regardless, it is a just infinitesimally small fraction, or percentage, I should yeah. say, of most U.S. theatrical releases.
1: Right. Now, I do know that it did get a Cannes Film Festival release as well. Oh. And I believe... Yeah, it was one of the six uh, ever to be like shown in Cannes, which is a, I mean, a pretty big deal, because Cannes is a, a pretty big deal. Um, but I don't know what the audience really thought about it, but from what I... I do know that it won a couple of awards from different festivals that are, I think, more based in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've, clearly people liked it, right? but it just didn't get more of a modern or, I guess, a uh, movie-going audience uh, that other movies do.
0: It does hold a 7.6 on IMDb, which is just 0.4 points lower than the original actually right
1: which is do good oh, yeah. I mean, that's a high score for it
0: yes now it should be noted that this is technically kind of a quasi sequel right Oshi never intended this to directly follow the first yes it does contain a number of references and there are connections but this is a standalone story they reference the first enough so you could watch this one without already seeing the first.
1: Right, yeah, and I actually did go back and watch the first and the second back-to-back. Um, that's actually not a very good idea because they are both really heavy movies. But uh, yes, there are a number of references uh, in this one that are also in the original, which aren't necessarily uh, like needed to know going into this movie. But they do help going into this movie.
0: Well, I'm ready to jump into the plot if you are.
1: Yeah, I'm basically ready to jump in. Yeah.
0: Now, just to let you know, we will be getting into spoiler territory, which means we will be telling you all the juicy details of this movie. If you have not seen Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence and you would like to and you don't want it ruined for you, then go ahead and hit pause right now. Go ahead and rent the movie and come back and hit play and we'll be ready to talk about it. So I'm going to read the opening uh, text and then I will add a little bit more to it. In a future time, when most human thought has been accelerated by artificial intelligence and external memory can be shared on a universal matrix, Bato, an agent of the elite, Police security section 9, in being so artificially modified as to be essentially a cyborg, is assigned, along with his mostly human partner, Togusa, to investigate a series of gruesome murders. Time has passed since Batu's original partner, Major Motoko Kusanagi, who was cybernetically enhanced to such a degree that only her ghost remained human, disappeared into the net. Since then, Bato has wondered where her ghost might be and if the Major will ever return. So the Locus Solus Company has these uh, gynoid uh, robots, which are basically prostitute robots. Uh, They are malfunctioning and killing their owners. So Detective Bato encounters one that says, Help us. He and partner Togusa, and finally with the help of the Major-slash- uh, puppet Master, hybrid, ultimately encounter the dark truth that the company is kidnapping children and putting their ghosts into the gynoids. They break into the James Bondian Sea Lair and stop the process and Locust Company.
1: Yeah, that's basically the plot. It's a little bit more complex than the last one. Uh, There's a few more factors going into it, because the last one right. was more or less the major hunting down the puppet master and trying to figure out how did he do this, you know. This one's, yeah, more of bateau, um trying to figure out what in the world is Locus Solus, what is their intention, um, that's kind of slowly revealed to us as the whole movie goes along and then come to find out. It ultimately amounts to... Um, it's It's weird, because it's essentially... Uh, human trafficking, but to an extent where it only deals with the mind hmm right but with little girls it's it's kind of odd but in my mind very interesting because it asks the question uh, it kind of challenges that definition of human trafficking as well.
0: right and I I feel like that's really only brought up towards the very end. Right,
1: right. Yeah, it's mentioned every once. in while. human trafficking elements aren't mentioned until the very end. But like we find out in this scene with I forget her name, but in the scene um, when they visit the pretty much the autopsy of the of oh, the yeah um, yeah of of the cyborg in the beginning. Um, they we the reveal that they are essentially shown to be more of made. Cyborgs, but in reality, their true intentions are sex bots.
0: Correct. Now, the movie opens with some 3D CGI, which is very similar to what Oshii went back and did with Ghost in the Shell 2.0, where he replaced right. a few sequences with just this kind of th- more 3D CGI, not 2D animation. Uh, Ghost in the Shell 2.0 is. Very interesting. It's worth the watch after seeing the just regular theatrical version. But I do say that I like the incorporation of this 3D CGI. I don't think it is overused and it's used in the right way to kind of, uh, it, it just kind of gives a different flavor to anime that is not often seen, I I think anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, now, I'm going to go out here and go ahead and say this. I do prefer the original style over this one. Uh, that's just how I, I tend to like older styles of animation because the cell animation in my mind just looks and moves in a better way than this one does. Yes. Because this one feels artificial. Yeah, but it, does. it works for this movie because we are getting into themes of, or I guess a dichotomy of reality versus fantasy. And and it sequences the, okay, in the scene where Bateau is essentially hacked when he goes into the convenience store, the background elements are, is all CGI with only the characters being uh, like traditional 2D animation. And the way that they did the CG. In that scene, makes it look very realistic. And there, when he picks up like the box of dog food, it's almost like they printed it off. It's almost like an actual object that you'd see in real life. They they played with this this uh, this contrast between reality and fantasy, which is where I think the CG really helps. But I personally prefer a more traditional style. Although I totally understand and think that. Without, if they had gone on, on like the more traditional way of the original, it would have taken away from the movie. Personally, I just prefer the original, but that is not to say that it is harming the movie in any way. And in, in in reality, it's helping it.
0: And I would agree. I believe the animation from the first Ghost in the Shell is better than this animation. At first, I was thinking that they were on par, but then I noticed unfortunately some of these animations especially when you get close up to these characters it looks much i don't know i don't know the right word to say i don't want to say cheaper but it is almost a little more tv quality yeah the lines are so obvious and apparent on the characters drawings it almost takes you out and it's like oh that is a drawn character and it's not as immersive so i was disappointed to see this there is a a drop in quality
1: I wouldn't say I personally wouldn't say a drop in quality like I mentioned I, I think if you change this animation to something else it would have taken away from it because of the overall message and the themes that, and the things that it's trying to portray um, in some ways uh, this is very well not in some ways but this is very new age animation and uh, with because of that they implement a lot of CGI um, to an extent to an extent like we kind of just talked about, maybe too too much of an extent. I think that uh, in in some instances, like when they go into like that big cathedral when they try tried to find Kim, it really works there. Or uh, and there were even time okay, there are even times where the animation, the two D animation, is so good that I question if it's a three D model or if it's a two mo- D or if it's a two D drawing because they move in such a way where it feels like it could be either one. And I typically, I actually kind of find myself enjoying that because of the thing, the things that it's exploring, reality versus fantasy and things like that. You know, is this a 3D model, or is it just a really well-drawn 2D animation? It's sometimes, you, there are times in the movie you can't really tell which is which.
0: Uh, the opening of this movie is solid, and mm-hmm. I was really... Immersed and captivated, like I said, by the 3D CGI, but also that this looks very much like Blade Runner.
1: Yes, yes, this is a common thing between at least the two that we've seen so far. This one and the and and the last one, uh, they are pretty much they are pretty heavily influenced by by Blade Runner.
0: And I would say this one even more so looks so much similar with. Just the colors that are used, there's some usages of green and red with lots mm-hmm. of neon and very kind of dank streets. And it's a creepy opening, but uh, Bato is awesome and I'm really jazzed up. But when we get into kind of the credit sequence, it's nowhere near as good as the original credit sequence where we see Major being created in the first movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, this uh, this entire movie has a lot of yellow to it. Yeah. Um. Except in the scenes where, like, there are two scenes specifically where the color palette changes to a more blue and more colder style, and that's when uh, Bato goes into the convenience store when he gets hacked, and then later on when they go and visit Kim and they get lost in that mind maze. Uh, they the color. That's really the only two times where you, the color palette clearly changes, and for good reason because it's going to show. Uh, that they are basically stuck. They've been hacked, you know. But putting that aside, this opening, yeah, I actually really enjoy this opening. But I still prefer once again the original opening. Uh, this one is very interesting because this is, I think, the, this is the first time in the movie where we kind of get like this sexual imagery. Because the first thing we see besides words and the uh, besides the credits um, is like essentially is this egg, and a bunch of sperm cells are flying toward it, and then it begins developing and and uh, and more cells are uh, being developed. And then it turns into like this machine kind of a cell. And then it grows on from there. I thought that was very well done because it goes to show the reality of this world that's, let's say in the opening, um, humans aren't fully human anymore. They have a bunch of uh, cybernetic parts to them. And this one, and we'll find out a bit later uh, when it comes to like the marionettes or the marionette looking, uh, I guess, dolls. Um, how they're created, and this we get to see this in this opening. Uh, it's kind of like a and like a puppet on a string until the very like one of the last sequences that we see, which comes up later in the movie. This uh, idea of a puppet being on a string, and then once the string is cut off, of, I think it's like a festival, right? Is what they say. Once the string is cut, it kind of just falls over. And so this, I found this opening to be very, very interesting, um, a bit more complex than the original opening. And th- this like. This subtle sexual theme, uh, sexual imagery will come back later on in this movie.
0: Yeah, it's probably deeper, but I would say visually it wasn't as pleasing, if that makes sense.
1: I Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, like I said, I still prefer the original opening, but I think this one does do a very good job at portraying its idea.
0: Now, did you get subtitles that told you what the lyrics to this uh, same creepy theme is, even we heard in the first one?
1: Yes, I did actually get the, uh, basically, yeah, the lyrics for this opening theme, yeah.
0: I was I was really uh, surprised that we finally know what this actually means. And uh, very very creepy. Uh, yeah. It says, I won't read them all, but basically the opening is, the moon fails to shine down on either day or night, and the night bird calls out in sadness. And it goes on from there, and it is a very haunting song with these lyrics wow
1: yeah yeah this song is very very interesting it comes back more than one time and just like the original it's the main theme where the main theme is like developed every time is brought back the same thing happens here uh although there are, i think there are more of just kind of two parts the story than there are three like the original um but yeah every time both times this is brought up this uh, idea or this sorry this song is brought up it's developed more. And you get more of a musical, you get more musical score to it and everything like that. Yeah, I do enjoy this, but that kind of gets me into uh, one of my other criticisms of this movie. I pref- I still prefer the the score of the original because they used the more they 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 heavily used the Bulgarian harmonies in a way that I really really liked. And this one they still use it, but it's kind of on the down low yeah. than the original and I prefer the original but this is not a bad score by any means this is still a very good score
0: i personally felt the score just felt recycled to me i felt Mm. like it really didn't bring anything we hadn't already heard in the first one so but when i did see it was uh uh, Kawhi coming back to score the movie i was looking forward to it but then i just honestly i barely ever noticed the score except in one elongated sequence where they are uh, talking with Kim in his place. We'll talk about that after a while. And then, yes. of course, there's the main kind of theme, You, I guess you could say, that is also here again. But uh, honestly, this, this score didn't do uh, much to improve upon the last I felt.
1: I, I do agree. I mean, we kind of have this new opening theme, but it still kind of harkens back to uh, the original opening theme, um, just in a more different... And it's, it's more a somber way. Right. and uh, Which is not that big of a deal, but when you comes when it comes like the composition in the scenes aside from the Kim the uh, scene with Kim and that like part two when they reach the cathedral um, in that city, they you don't notice it too much and that is an unfortunate truth. I don't think it's a bad composition, but I do agree we kind of recycle a few things here and there with this, like, opening song, um, which isn't really that big of a deal. But the score just doesn't feel like it's as special as the original, which is unfortunate. But, I mean, its I don't think it's a bad composition. I think it still works. I just wish it was more like the original where it was very special.
0: And right after this, we kind of jump into the main plot of the movie which honestly brings me to a criticism is this is told to us it through quite a bit of exposition right too much exposition and i think this movie kind of suffers from that is it's almost as if they think oh the audience may not catch on to this or we need to almost over explain it whereas i feel the first one never did that but this one has a lot of exposition talking about these eight gynoid homicides and they've self-destructed. They're created by the Locust Solus company. And we're all hearing this from like a radio in the background or something like that. And then I get confused because it says there's a politician that was among those killed. So it's considered a terrorist act. Is that right?
1: Yeah. They do mention that it's very possible that this is a terrorist act. Um, Once again, we're dealing with politics just like in the original. Um, But yeah, yeah, I think you are correct. This is, this is on the grounds of, is this a terrorist attack, you know, because uh, they have seen these murders now. This is number eight. And so they are a little bit concerned.
0: Right. And then we also even learn a little bit more about Major, how the government really wants her memories for some reason. I felt like we didn't need to bring this up, but Major will be referenced quite a bit throughout this movie.
1: Well, I think the point of them mentioning the major um, is that Bato, okay, so I guess I probably should mention this. I watched the Japanese sub, or sorry, the Japanese dub with English subtitles. And if it's anything like the last one, the subs are not necessarily matched up to the English spoken dialogue. They're matched up more to the translation from the Japanese. So I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. Yeah, I did actually. Um... You, I would highly recommend watching, if you can, watching the English dub with the uh, Japanese subbed or the Japanese translated uh, subtitles because you get two different sides of the story. It's They say the exact same thing, but in two different ways. So one of the things that I got out of this is that Bato was essentially mentioning that... Uh, the Major's memories do belong to the government. And basically everything about her body isn't exactly hers uh, because the Megatech in the original had made her. So it isn't, strictly speaking, hers. All of her memories and stuff don't necessarily belong completely to her. They also belong to the government. Whereas here, she's now on the net. She's kind of gone out. She's not necessarily in a physical form anymore. And so they can't track her down and the government can't access her memories anymore like they used to be able to. Which kind of goes back to Bateau because I know that he's now mostly cyborg and has very few humanity, very few human parts to him anymore.
0: Correct. And then we get to this Dr. Haraway scene or whatever. This doctor who has found the robot that Bateau shot and she's trying to rebuild it. She herself is very animatronic with her just action and dialogues and I gotta say this is kind of a weird scene Mm -hmm. because we spend some time with this fish eye uh, kind of fish eye mode of focusing on Togusa and there's this dialogue about maybe children aren't really what they are and something about dolls and whatnot and I gotta say this scene really isn't working for me.
1: Honestly, I feel the exact opposite because I loved this scene because it asks, it brings up so much and asks so many questions. Because one of the first things that is said is that man and machine are maybe not two different things anymore, because uh, as Haraway kind of mentions, what uh, She asked so you know, what is the difference between man and machine? And because of this, um, they, because of what's been going on and the advancements in the cyborgs, it's becoming harder and harder to tell. And so when, and she goes on to explain that it sounds like there is a malfunction in the code or a malfunction in the minds of these, uh, gynoids where, uh, essentially what happens is the humans that own them get tired of them when, some, when something new comes out and they throw them out into the street and that causes them because they perhaps they, their minds are more closely related to a human's mind they essentially become depressed and then they try and kill their owners and then try and as they say self-terminate and then um, that, and that's what uh, Togasa says is that yeah they self-terminate but then Haraway uh, comes back and says well Suicide is definitely more like it as well. And Togusa says, well, wouldn't it be better to use this term of self-terminate? Which is interesting because these robots, once again, they're blurring the line of being human and not being human. And so we could use a more technical term of self-termination for their sake versus the more humanity more human-like term, which is suicide. Um, it's a very interesting dichotomy, and then we get into like you were just mentioning the uh, the daughter or the I guess the children and the dolls, which also comes back much later and once again ties into this theme or the the th- the title of the movie, which is innocence, because uh, they don't know the whole world that's around them. Um, they're just kind of acting in it in the way that the only way that they know how well they are learning. And so when it comes to dolls, they look and they look very human, and the and Harry kind of brings this up. It's kind of scary because uh, they're something that a human is not, and we're scared that we maybe that we are what the dolls are. We're just kind of meant to be messed around with, or that maybe even the cyborgs are like this. And this kind of goes back to once again the cyborgs. They are very much like dolls, where they're kind of just used just for the human for whatever humans want to be want them to be used for, and then when they're done, they throw them out, and so. Because of and we find out later, the that children were put into the these gynoids and that's kind of what caused their humanity to go nuts. And I found this scene to be very riveting because it asks so many questions about not, not only what does it mean to be human, but then goes into the more ethical side of of that of those questions and uh, dives into children. And once again, we have. Uh, more I guess more subtly uh, sexual uh, images coming through things like that I really enjoyed the scene
0: and I think my problem with it is I'm not feeling this coming across as organic where I feel like these questions were organically brought up in such a way where it didn't need to just spend so much time talking about it you just more so saw it on screen and then we could talk about it later. So I think this is kind of one of my central problems with this movie is we have so much exposition in this movie throughout the movie with different characters or scenes or so many philosophical things that are really just almost brought up it seems like just to try and say something profound without really going there so i do think in retrospect this scene does make more sense because while watching it i i'm not even understanding really what they're talking about until we go through the entirety of the movie and now i can see that i've seen it i'm like oh i completely forgot they were talking about dolls and girls and this was even going to be the biggest factor later on in the movie see i, I completely forgot all of that and maybe on a second watching, I'll pick up on this stuff more, but to me, I just feel like I want it told in a more organic way and not such just a, let's just state all of it, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I I can, maybe that even comes down to the way that the English dub and the Japanese uh, or the English dub and the English subs are different. I mean, I possible. guess I can't exactly say because I haven't seen either of them because I didn't find this really to be inorganic. Um, I definitely can see where it definitely could feel like that. Then, to be fair, the original kind of the original also has this as well, where it kind of uh, talks about a theme. Like, okay, take the boat example. When uh, the major's on the boat and she begins talking about what it means to what it means for her own perception and how humans perceive things, and she. Spells out to the audience that uh, the way that she perceives the world around her is different is what makes her different from everybody else. She may look exactly the same as everybody else that is around her, but the way that she perceives her world makes her different. She spells that out to us, and right. although it works, it does work. for it, it does work for that movie, and really, even going back to Blade Runner, they do have scenes where they kind of just spell out things to the audience, just because an idea is so complex that it's hard to put it into this box of a metaphor. I think that's kind of what's going on here is that uh, the English dub is maybe something, because I know that this is from the original, um, English dub says something that, it says the same thing as the Japanese sub, uh, but they're done in two different ways. And you get two different, different, maybe not two different sides of the same coin, but you get two different, viewpoints of a central idea. So I think that's what's happening here because it didn't, like I said, it didn't, bot- this scene, I really enjoyed this scene because of the way that it was set up and the, way that, and the ideas that it brought up. Whereas with you, it sounds like you uh, found it to be very on the nose, which right. I can only attest to, maybe that just is the, the way that the English dialogue is spoken or the way that it is executed um, because you can have different execution just from a translation.
0: Right, and I think that's a good point. That's very possible that the English dub, they just possibly elaborate too much. Right. And I, like I said, I can't state that for a fact, because I have not seen the Japanese sub. I would be very interested, though, and maybe that would make me a little more optimistic about certain parts of this movie. Because this is going to be, like I said, one of my problems continually throughout this is things are just over explained or it's just stated too much whereas yes you're right in the english dub for the first one some of that stuff is just laid it all out there but i do feel they do show more than they tell whereas with this one honestly i feel like they're just telling more than they're showing but we'll continue to get into that uh Anyways, I got to say, I like Ishikawa's character. I think he's a fun character. I would have liked to have seen him more. Also, we get the hound dog again.
1: Yes. Now, I mentioned earlier that I went back and watched the original um, during my second viewing of this movie. But Oh, yeah. By the way, Corbin, I would totally recommend you watch this movie again because it is, once again, very dense. And it everything feels better on a second viewing in my mind putting that aside though yes the the dog does actually show up more than one time in the original we kind of see hey, the dog in i think we, i think we talked about this in the last podcast we do see the dog um in like the part two transition with, after the boat scene um he's like up on like this banister and right. a couple of small moments here and there like with the picture of the trash man um and then i think he's also put on a poster f- uh, that is an advertisement for the dog food, which we do see here. Yes. Um, so yes, he's brought up in the original, a few, uh, very, very subtly, and here he's now a main character.
0: Yes, and I always found the incorporation of a this kind of uh, hound dog type dog—I don't know what it's called—I always found it to be very odd, but very unique to such a degree that. It actually works. It shouldn't work, but the poster of this is so bizarre with this dog next to this dismembered, uh, looks like a gynoid to me. Yes. It's I very, believe, yes,
1: that is the gynoid that we see in the like autopsy scene just yes. before this. It's
0: very strange, but it's very interesting. And the dog's name is Gabriel. Everything has a name in this, I noticed, thanks to the subtitles. Uh, so, Interesting. I don't know if it adds too much to the message of the movie.
1: I can actually say that it does. Oh gosh. Uh, what? Okay, let me ask this. What do you think the dog, the meaning of the dog in this movie is?
0: Um, well, if you, if you know. Well, the one thing that I did notice is animals are not very present in. Both Ghost in the Shell movies. So really the only animals we see are this hound dog, which does feel very out of place in this industrialized world. And I also noticed they brought up a couple times that the dog isn't technically real. It's like artificial inseminationally created or it's a part robot or something. I don't know.
1: Right. So, yes, yes. Basically the dog represents something that is real or I guess I guess the dog represents uh, the that dichotomy of real and fake. Mm. More specifically something that is real. Because taking it okay, taking it from the poster, you said we have the gynoid on like just like laying in pieces on the ground, whereas a dog is sitting next to it. Putting that in like maybe a yin and yang kind of a scenario, uh the dog is something that is real, versus the ganoid is something that is fake. But they both have elements to them that are make it kind of the other way around. So taking it from that perspective, uh we never see a cyborg eat anything. Whereas in this one, uh Bateau buys and buys that dog food and he puts it in the microwave, which is weird. But um, he buys his food for his dog. I think this is the only character that we see ever actually eating anything, or any, or any character, anything in this movie that like consumes some something that is not like a cigarette in the last scene. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of got the the extent that this is, this dog is actually real because uh, once again we have the dog food and the uh, ads for it. So in my mind, I think this is more or less going to show. Uh, something that is real in a world that is mostly fake Hmm. or in a world that is mostly artificial
0: Hmm. yeah that's a good way of looking at it and my uh dub kind of led me to believe that reproducing not just between animals but also almost between humans is something that is slowing down by quite a bit and more things are just being mechanized and that almost kind of leads me to believe what if the human race just goes extinct, but there are these robots like Major that just live on, essentially. That is right. an interesting thought.
1: Yeah, that is a very interesting thought. And that is something that's kind of subtly brought up here is because, yeah, we this world that, we, that this movie takes place in is mostly artificial, like we just mentioned. It's most everything that we see... That and then, when it comes to something that looks very human, is mostly fake. But and Togusa is the only character here that, uh, well, the only the only character, only main character that we would get into um, that is mostly human. And he's brought into this case once again by the leader of Section Nine from the last one because this is these these two guys are from the last movie. We both we know that um, they were on the same team, but now they're just kind of brought back for this new case. So. Togasa is still retaining his humanity from the original where uh, he is mostly human, has very little cyborg parts to him, and now he has a family. Once again, there's a dichotomy of a little girl in the story, and this comes up in more than one time. And so, yeah, this kind of goes to ask the question, well, yeah, how much does humanity still exist in a world that is mostly fake? Or, I guess I guess artificial is just a better way of putting it. Um, things that aren't necessarily biologically engraved in us, but now we have things in our bodies to make us better. Because in one point, uh, when... Okay, so when Bateau goes and, like, kind of has gets hacked in the convenience store, he's we were told that he like, essentially shot three rounds into his arm and he had to get a new arm, and that... Um, the new arm that he got is pretty much a copy of his DNA from before but it's like now it's just a different arm and he uses it later on um, and so I'm led to believe that this is that that was one of the last pieces of his body that was not cyborg and now it is so yeah how do we live in this world uh, how, how how would we live in a world like this that now has that is mostly artificial everything is made better but is not. Biologically, that way anymore. It's mechanized.
0: Well, we're about half an hour in and I'm checking out a little bit. Really? Yeah. But we do get some uh, gratuitous violence. We get Bateau shooting up the place. We have the Crab Man boss fight, which is pretty Ah, fun how it ends with him plugging into his head with a joystick. And, uh, yeah, and then the, the grocery scene, which is probably one of the best scenes of the movie so far, because I think it's so uh, well done. A lot of interesting parts to it, with hearing he's going into the kill zone, he thinks there's a killer there, it's slow moving, and then he gets shot up, we don't know who's shooting up, he makes a rush towards the guy, and that, but this, so this is where I'm like, okay, I'm back, my interest has been peaked again as to who is hacking Bateau and what's going on. I feel like they kind of needed to pick it up here. And now I'm back and interested.
1: Yeah. And I can definitely see why you think that, because let's be honest, this movie is mostly dialogue up until this point. Uh, So it can be kind of draining to get from there to here. And this, once again, I I think I mentioned this. I I did mention this earlier. Uh, We have this, dichotomy of real versus fake. When he walks into that convenience store, the color palette changes to a blue, right? And we find out later that he was hacked. Um, But come to find out, or come to, well, the way that the convenience store looks is a lot different than the rest of the movie because it looks all very, very realistic. And um, we have, this is where the movie kind of goes completely CG up except for the characters Um, He's walking around in this 3D space and when he, and he picks up those boxes of dog food and they're obviously 3D models and, and things like that. And then this whole scene happens. Um, This is, we find out later it is a, he has been hacked and it is a fantasy in his mind that somebody is there that wants to kill, that wants to kill him in this convenience store. And that's what causes him to go kind of off the deep end. Luckily, uh, Ishikawa was there to stop him. And uh, I don't, I think he figured, yeah, Ishikawa even warns him earlier that, hey, you should really buy the dry dog food versus the wet one that you can get. And come to find out, Ishikawa had figured out that uh, the way that these different cyborgs were hacked is because their daily routine was always the same, made it easier for them to be hacked by, as you find out, Kim later on in the movie.
0: And then they travel up to the north where it's just kind of this technological wasteland, it seems like, where these multinationals and possibly criminals hide out. And on their helicopter ride there, we get a quote from, this is what they say, Psalm 139 from the Book of David from the Old Testament. They really make sure we want to know what the Book of Psalm is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in the Japanese dub, they just say Psalm 139.
0: Okay, so once again, I think this may be a difference in translations because yours is just more simplified, whereas mine will be like, oh, this is from Plato's 12th book, chapter 7, verse 5. I'm being dramatic, but that's how it feels, and this is where I get annoyed, where I am just being spoon-fed some of these quotes. I don't have a problem they quote it because they did do a bit of this in the first one, but what I have a problem with is when... It's just like, oh, did you know that was written in the 18th century by David? And that is the book. So this occurs repeatedly from here. And I don't know how it is in the Japanese version, but this is one of my problems where it's like, let's quote every philosopher we can think of.
1: Now, I, I will agree with you. This movie, does, it does do the exact same thing where it kind of just loves to quote philosophers Sometimes it doesn't give the name of the philosoph- the quote the name of the philosopher who said that, and Mine sometimes does. it does. <laughs> uh, I will agree with you that there is a ton of philosoph- uh, philo- philosopher quotes in this movie, and it gets to a point where it's like, okay, yeah. can we just not do that? Um, I, I do agree that is one of my criticisms as well. It kind of just they like to do it a lot, which. Like you said, is isn't that big of a deal if they do it every once in a while, because it will definitely help with the movie, but they do it really often, and it makes the movie a little bit more complex than what I would have liked. I do enjoy the quotes, and they do work for the movie, but there are a lot of them, and it kind of gets a bit too much, especially here towards the end we begin to do this more, but... Um, sometimes, and I don't know if this work. I don't know if this is the same in your, in your version, but there are times where they kind of just say a quote, but don't give like any context to who said it or where it came from. But there are moments, yeah, I think the, uh, the one that you'd mentioned there at the very end, there is one where they kind of, I think it's John Milton is what they say. Uh, yeah. there's a quote from him, um, that they say, or the Psalm 130, when they say Psalm 139, uh, he quotes it, and then Bato comes back and says, oh yeah, you, said, you quoted Psalm 139 from the Old, from the Old Testament. Um, there are times where it's kind of obvious um, that this is where the quote came from, and then there are times where they just don't really give any context to see who said it at all. I would have liked if they used it a bit more sparingly than here, but I mean, at least it works and isn't like just there for no reason.
0: Right, well, instead of making subtle allusions to it by maybe incorporating more visual elements, and yeah, they should have tampered it down as well, but they do drop a lot of quotes, and it's almost trying, because they're like, oh wow, the first one was so philosophical. They're like, let's do that, but make it even more. And I feel like they are kind of missing the point by spelling it out too much. And I don't know what you're... Your version said, but right after he quoted the verse, Bato says to Togusa, maybe your external brain still has some of your philosophical leanings.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of what the Japanese dub had said is that, um, yeah, basically the the same thing. Maybe your cyborg mind is a bit – well, mine said maybe your cyborg mind is just a bit more on the philosophical side is, is what it said, which I, I just found to be funny because this whole movie is insanely philosophical.
0: Uh, okay, but right after this I'm kind of disappointed because I love this technological cathedral. It looks amazing. This whole scene looks amazing. And yeah. they land the helicopter, but there's this really weird fade to black. And then they cut to this colorful parade that has this main theme, the main score. Right. I I am so that cut was so odd to me.
1: Yeah, that didn't bother me too much. Um, I kind of got the sense that, like the original, it's we're changing from part one to part two, or we're in the middle of the movie, it's more or less, um, yeah, part two of the story. I, that didn't bother, the, the uh, transition didn't bother me too much, um, but I, I can see where it'd be a little bit odd for them to do well- that.
0: I gotta say, it just felt jarring though, because I assumed they were going to, I thought they were landing at this cathedral for a reason, they were going to go investigate it, and then we never get anything else to do with it. It's just a parade, and then they're in the streets, and then it goes on from there. It just felt like it didn't feel very, like a smooth transition to me.
1: Yeah, I would agree this scene is kind of odd. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, don't get me wrong. The images in this movie, I would just go ahead and say this. There is some crazy good imagery in this movie just by how things look and what their meaning is behind it. And I think that the movie does a really good job at that. But this is one of the scenes where, yeah, it looks really good and I really like what I'm seeing, but what does it ultimately mean? And I think what I kind of what I kind of began to gleam as they were approaching this cathedral is now we're kind of getting into more religious aspects of this, of this idea because uh, they're approaching a cathedral. And so then you have like the culture around this cathedral and we get to see how they celebrate um, their own beliefs and things like that. So we get some really odd imagery that you wouldn't normally see in a movie and you get the score coming back. Um, I've kind of been led to believe that we're more or less exploring a culture and how they operate in terms of practicing their beliefs and things like that in this world because they're covered and once we get once again we get to this line of uh, a puppet on a parade float, uh, which happens think a bit later. Um, where we have like an elephant on a parade float and then we have like these like mannequin heads that are kind of just floating around the, on the on the frame. It's a bunch of puppets, and so it, I mean, yes, it ties into uh, at least aesthetically. It ties into the rest of what the movie is saying. But I do agree; it's a little bit odd and a bit of a jarring experience going from one, to, going from what we just saw to seeing this, to then onto the Kim scenario.
0: I did also forget to mention earlier. Bateau, one of the first philosophers you mentions is Descartes. And it's funny because I said the first movie had a lot of Descartes philosophy. So I feel vindicated yes. about that now. And the other thing is uh, Dr. Haraway mentions the third law of ethics. It cannot vi- violate the third law. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is this iRobot? Because two months prior, the film iRobot came out. And which was based off the, I believe it was based off the Isaac Asimov short story. And the third law is the same in iRobot as well. So that was a little weird how somehow they got that.
1: Yes, actually, there is a reason why it's called the third law. There is a code of ethics for, actually, it's called, I think, the law of robotics. Uh, I think there are like three or four laws to it. Essentially the law is you can't use robots to harm other human beings. Um okay. yeah, that that's where they got this from. There's not they don't pull from it either or but they there is a law of ethics for robotics and that's where they're pulling it from. I had to learn this gotcha. for one of my classes in college. So that's that's where the that's where this code comes from.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes me feel better they're not just ripping off iRobot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they could do that in two months. <laughs> So back to now we get this quite elongated Kim sequence where they find the man slash machine who hacked into Bato. And I got to say, this is so haunting, this entire sequence, like them walking towards the house. The lighting in this movie is wonderful. And the lighting like behind the house and around it, there's this weird statue. They have to walk on this small pathway through this lake to get to the house. And then inside the house, it looks incredible. Uh, yeah. Visually, this scene is a feast and, uh, very haunting. Actually. I also, and it's macabre and the yes. music is great. So everything about it is essentially perfect. Right. But I, I was, uh, curious. There is a girl and a hound, uh, a dog down there, a basset hound. Doesn't that look like major to you?
1: It is the major, actually, because later on, Bateau says that. Okay, the way re- the re- the way that Bateau is able to escape this mind maze is his with his guardian angel, which is the major. Oh. He sees her on the ground and in front of her are these is two words, depending on uh what time he goes, what time he gets lost in the maze. The first time, I think it's I think it says ameth, which mm. means life. And then when he comes back, the A and the E on the, on the front are taken off and it just says meth, which means death. And so with that and the help of the major, he was able to escape this maze. Um, that's yes. Yeah, so that is the major that he sees. And once again, he had he mentioned that she is his guardian angel. Ah, OK. Yes. Well, I that- caught that on my second time around. I was like, oh, that looks like a lot like the major. Why is she here?
0: Yes, that did confuse me because he just kind of brushes by at first. And then I did notice he came back and examined those words. But I get, okay, I get that it is, that is supposed to be the major. Okay, help me out. So who is Kim and how did they know to find him?
1: So you remember earlier before they entered the cathedral when they, when okay, so Bateau and Togas are kind of like walking down the alleyway, and then this guy, the bunch of children are, run, are running by, and this guy kind of like falls or lands in between them all and has like the white mask. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this guy used to, uh, so Bateau knew this guy, and so this guy knows where Kim is, and uh, he is since, and so Bato's like, Where is this guy? Where is Kim? Because I think they track him down to uh they essentially track him down to this location but they don't know who it is or where he's at and so they find so they find out from this guy where Kim is located they go up to the cathedral to uh essentially um talk with him and figure out what exactly is going on and then when they arrive Kim has put them into this mine maze luckily Bateau is able to escape um and comes to find out that this Kim man is the guy who trapped them into this maze and has been doing all the hackings as well ah okay yeah it is that one does kind of go by pretty quick um this one thing I actually really like about the the Japanese dub is that for me personally um I feel as if when I'm watching the movie and I have a dub and not the English subs or sorry the English dub um I feel like I am paying attention more because I'm more scared that I'm going to miss a line of dialogue if I so much as look away and first viewing of this movie took me three and a half hours to get through because it is very dense and dialogue kind of goes just flies by and so there were scenes where i would like okay like the scene with uh harroway that scene to, probably took me about 45 minutes to get through because oh the scene gosh. is just so dense and i had to go back and watch watch it a few times just to get every every line of dialogue that they were saying yeah oh, <laughs> But, I okay. mean, for this movie, it makes it so much easier to understand because, once again, at least for me, I was scared that I was going to miss a line of dialogue. And I felt as if this this movie, everything has a meaning to it, and I just don't want to miss anything. And so that made a very interesting experience, one that I feel like kind of met, allowed the movie to make more sense to me.
0: I do – I I don't find – whole lot of meaning during this scene though it does go on for quite a long time and i kind of feel like we get this big inorganic philosophical dump for a bit that i have a lot of trouble tracking with
1: okay so like explain to me specifically what's going on
0: well he's talking about how animals are on the same level as dolls or gods and i'm just i'm I'm kind of missing the connection here because dolls are brought up so much and how this scene is also kind of reminiscent of the scene in the first one with the puppet master, how he's talking about memories and machines and uh, humans, they can't exist separately. They need – one needs the other to create this evolutionary future. I feel like that's what they're they're saying in this, but I'm just – I'm not getting – animals dolls and gods
1: right okay so oce the director came out and basically said that the reason for this movie or the message of this movie is that anything can exist equally whether it be animals or anything that has life can essentially coexist as has he as he mentioned they can coexist on an equal level plane um, so this is now this idea is very very japanese uh, it's more towards their culture and, and things like that. So, taking taking it from that perspective, when he explains, when Kim explains that yes, everything um, can be can coexist on this equal plane, that's what he's saying is that animals or gods or dolls, whether no matter what it is, if it has life, it can exist on this equal plane. It's a very Japanese kind of idea. And I will agree it's a bit odd to uh, to see that in this movie and how it connects with the rest of it. But um, viewing the rest of the movie with all, also that same mindset, I found to be a bit more clear uh, because that was the intention is dolls, although they are not not necessarily uh, real per se, they, in this movie, they are shown to have like uh, the... Minds of humans in them, and so even though the body is not necessarily a biological, biologically real person, uh, their minds exist. So it kind of goes to show that really anything can live on this equal plane when it comes to like nature and stuff like that. It's very Japanese.
0: Ah, okay, that does make a lot more sense. And yes, we technically did get a little bit of those concepts in the first movie, kind of towards the end. It's kind of Buddhist in a way where, you know, all this life and matter is coexisting and is all kind of equal on this plane. It's that that is very new age, maybe Shinto. I don't know much about the Japanese religion of Shinto, but okay. with that in mind, I can definitely see where they're going with that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, it's it is a pretty it is pretty subtle. That's why I would highly recommend watching it uh, a second time just because it is this is a this is a very dense movie and I would even say it's even more dense than the last one, which is quite a feat because the last one was pretty dense. But yeah, I do agree this was a bit confusing for me on my first time. I didn't exactly know where this was headed uh, until my second time around. I was like, "Okay, I'm picking up." And then when I read what the director said, it's like, "Ah, it makes sense now."
0: And I I guess I would agree that it is more dense, which is hard to do because the first one is incredibly dense, but I do feel the first one is incredibly rewarding. I'm not getting that same rewarding feeling with this one. I almost feel like it's possibly almost too dense to connect with, or maybe on my 10th viewing, I can just, it's all, all will be revealed, but I'm just feeling that the density is is targeted too, too narrowly. Like it's just, it's not as broad for an audience to connect with, if that makes sense.
1: I can, yeah, I can definitely see that. And that was kind of my thoughts when I watched it the first time is that this is, wow. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, it took me three and a half hours to get through. And so even then I was like, this has a lot to it. And that's part of the reason why it took me so long. Um, but yes, a second time around once it, I don't. Like, I do agree with you. It is not as rewarding as the first one, uh, because the first one just has a very. Per- well, they both have very personal feels to it. Uh, they're very simplistic movies when you get down to the interactions with the characters. But I like like you just said, the first one just has a bit more of a rewarding feel to it, and it and it does. Although I say that they are both, uh, they both gain from rewatching on a second time or a third time, or more than just that, um, the first one feels a bit more clear with what it's trying to say than this one does. And that might yeah. have even been the intention of the director is to make it complex enough where you can get more on multiple viewings than what you did before. In some ways, I think that that really works because I can definitely attest to that. I got way more on my second viewing than this movie than I did my first. And that kind of goes to show, oh, then, well, then again, there could be a problem with this is that, okay, but wouldn't you want to get what everything the movie is trying to say on a first viewing or maybe a, a good chunk of it? on the initial viewing that would allow you to kind of go back and see it again versus being like feeling like you're kind of out there and you're outside of this, this inclusive group that the movie has created for itself. Seemingly.
0: Yes. And honestly, on my first viewing, I was feeling very left out of this movie and honestly just confused as to what the whole point of the movie is. And I feel like we really don't get the point until the last five to ten minutes. And then with that meta knowledge you're equipped with, you could go back a second time and then it would all feel more purposeful, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And I I gotta say I was a little disappointed with the very end of this scene though, because uh Bato learns that it's all been a kind of a time loop in a way. And he learns that he would find no knowledge in this house. So to me, that feels like our time has just been wasted. Now, I know they use Kim for some hacking purposes that I don't even understand. But I do feel like this was just almost them wanting to just talk about philosophy for an elongated period of time. And... Listening to this music for ten minutes did get annoying. I don't know how you felt about what the music did to you during this scene.
1: Yeah, I, I can I can see that the music kind of got annoying after a while. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel that, and um, after because it cause it kind of does fade out when they reach Kim for the first time, and then begins and then is reintroduced once Togasa looks inside the house, but. Um. Yeah, I can definitely see where you think that this movie kind of just loves to spout philosophy and doesn't really connect it to the rest of the story. But I would argue that this scene does definitely does help because uh, it begins to, because once again we're questioning you know robotics and AI and things like that and how. As in the first one, a sea of information created a living, a almost living life form with with the puppet master. And the same thing is kind of true here, where we have a living thing being put into a shell of a body. And so it begins to ask the question of well, can they exist on this equal plane as humans can? And once again that we just talked about this. It's a very Japanese kind of a mindset. And so at first I would I when I first watched it, I would totally agree with you that this kinda this scene kinda doesn't really make too much sense. It kind of, like you said, just kinda likes to spout philosophy. But when I began to understand where exactly this scene was headed and what its intention was, I didn't necessarily feel that because you have Kim who is this, who can get into anything. And he himself has lost his own physical body and put himself into this marionette-like one where he can now kind of travel around the net and uh, hack and everything like that that he wants to do. So he, in his own mind, he is very much on the same plane as everybody else, every other human, but he's just in a different spot. He's in a uh, in a different, uh, how do I put this? A different area, because he doesn't have, he doesn't necessarily have a physical body beyond, uh, well, he put himself inside this, like I said, marionette body where he can do his things from. But compared to the rest of the movie, where we definitely see that tying this together with the young girls being put inside of the gynoids, it makes a bit more sense to me because uh, we're putting humans' minds into a robotic shell. Once again, ghosts in the shell.
0: So, yes, I definitely will rewatch this very soon because, A, it is a visual feast. B, I do want to learn more and give it uh, more of a chance. But also, I did spend $4 for the HD version on Amazon. <laughs> so I
1: did too!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got a seven-day rental. I've got plenty of time, but I might even return to this two more times.
1: That Yeah, I can, I, I can attest... To my own experience, very good idea.
0: I did want to make a comment on the voice acting for the English version. I believe it's the same actors, but I have no idea. The credits don't list it. I can't find these voice actors.
1: Yeah, I was anyway, actually wondering if they had brought back the same act, voice actors as before, at least in the English job.
0: They sound the same to me. And I watch these movies very close together, so they're fresh in my mind. But I gotta say, some of this voice acting is wooden. After this uh Kim scene, there's a big talky scene with Bato. And honestly, in the English version, it's kind of unbearable. Because he just talks on and on, and with just little inflection in his voice, which makes it hard for me to get into. I understand he's this tough cyborg, but... That's just my comment. That's my two cents for this English voice acting is it at times is disappointing with how stilted I feel it is.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but especially after watching that again last night, the first one, um, the English voice acting, even in that one is kind of wooden as well. But at least that one in some sense actually works because I think the major, for example, she, her voice acting is kind of wooden, but at least in the, uh, this is the English version. But because she is a cyborg, it kind of works for her character. And so I can't exactly attest to the English, uh, the English dub here because I haven't seen it. But I can say that uh, the Japanese dub sounds better. Um, but I will make the criticism that uh, this movie is very serious with its dialogue. And so nothing really has too much emotion to it, which once again, helps, is a blessing and a curse. It helps and also takes away because in some ways it kind of makes the movie not as enjoyable to, because I felt like the original had a bit more uh, emotion put into its voices, whereas this one kind of doesn't. Um, But in other ways, it really helps because this movie is, that's just the style of this movie and how they had these more overly emotional voices, it would have taken away from it. So uh, personally, I do enjoy I did, I did enjoy the Japanese dub for this one um, because it it felt like there was more motion, but I, I don't speak Japanese, so I can't exactly say for 100% that it is a good dub, but I would assume that it is.
0: Okay, so now we kind of get to the big finale where Bato breaks into this giant aquatic ship, I guess. Honestly, this looks like... It's straight out of a Roger Moore, James Bond movie. I have been going through all of those movies. I'm getting very close to watching all of them. So that's just a little bit of a plug for what to look for, a James Bond guide to come. But seriously, this looks very similar to the one in... I think it might be in For Your Eyes Only. Kind of fell asleep at the end, but uh, yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) Anyways, he breaks in. I gotta also say, he looks like the action guy Jason Seagal with his ponytail running in here. I don't, I don't know how, I've never seen a Jason Seagal movie. I've just seen clips. Are you very familiar with that, Alan?
1: I have heard of the name, but I haven't seen anything.
0: It's, it's kind of funny. You should look up a comparison. Uh, sure. I am a little annoyed though that I have to read the subtitles of this robot talking scene about security. It's so pointless and just a waste yeah, there of reading. Isn't,
1: there isn't too much to it. Uh, I guess they didn't dub over that in English for the for your version. Nope. Uh, yeah, there really isn't too much point to it except to say that uh, they are being hacked uh, and that there is that they are trying to retaliate, and that's basically it. There isn't too much to it.
0: No, and there's like a couple of them, and they're quite lengthy, and it's yeah. like, okay, we get it. They're hacking in. Got it. And now it's yeah, just They, like they a, probably
1: could have shaved that down, but I feel like that's more of a – that for me is more of a nitpick. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I guess so. It's just
1: – I don't know.
0: Anyways, so I'm assuming that Major is – because he's fighting off these uh, whatever they're called, gynoids – and I'm assuming Major is hacking them. And yep, I'm right. We finally get a kind of an odd Major scene where she is like, well, this is not my full form because I cannot take upon this form because of the power issues of or spec issues of this. Um, so, so what did you think? We finally get Major. What are your thoughts? We Bato and Major finally reunite. We've been building right. towards well,
1: it. We, right. And so I now she is now this isn't out of left field because she is kind of brought up both in dialogue and she we find out here at the end that she was here and she was there a a couple of times in the movie like when bateau is lost in this mind maze and then when uh, there is and then when he walks into the convenience store that is actually the major talking to him saying you've entered the kill zone warning him uh, about what's to come. So she's been in this movie uh, a couple of times so it's not out of nowhere that she just kind of shows up. Uh yeah no I was kind of I was wondering if the major would have actually been the villain of this movie and I'm kind of like glad they didn't go down that route. Um, but yeah I am I'm, I enjoy having the major back. It also kind of plays we also kind of get a more yin and yang kind of visual with the major and Bateau because once again when he when he comes across her and she takes over one of the marionettes and begins to help him out he puts his jacket over her like in the original. And um even though for this kind of marionette, it isn't exactly uh, as anatomically correct as the last one. Uh, it's very much a doll. It, it kind of just goes to show that uh, Bateau still has that respect for her, even though he said plainly in the movie that he really doesn't care if she's dead or alive there at the beginning. And so, yeah, it, it's interesting to see how this video, because he is mostly white-skinned, um, but he's wearing like a black tank top and black and, or dark tank top and dark pants. And she's the opposite where she's all white as a, uh, as a puppet. And then, uh, he puts a jacket on her. And so she has like this black jacket over here with a mostly white body. Kind of get the zing and yang kind of a visual. It's very interesting.
0: I do got to say that when he does put his coat on her, it doesn't connect with me like it did in the first movie. I don't feel like there's as much emotion there. It's just kind of this trope like, hey, You're here. I'm going to put my coat on you. Remember how I did that in the first one? They don't... Honestly, this Bateau from the first Bateau feels like a completely different character because we didn't know him very well in the first movie. This is a much more in-depth, evolved character, and I don't know, it's kind of a little hard for me to connect with Major here. So uh, this scene doesn't really work for me. It's not as emotional as I think they're hoping it will be connecting with audiences.
1: Right. I never really got the sense that they were trying to make it very emotional, uh, at least with Bateau and the Major. But, I mean, bringing back that uh, this thing of a guardian angel, um, she's always been looking out for him. And uh, they have always been pretty good friends from the original. So, I mean, although I don't think they were necessarily going for a more emotional moment, they were just kind of going to show that uh, even... Even the major who has been her who has, whose mind is basically inside the net, uh, she is able still able to help Bateau out in a more physical form. Although it's not her own form, uh, she's able to help him out, which kind of goes along with everything else in the movie. Uh, they like in a second we'll find out having the girls' minds being put into these gynoids uh, and to, and having them control and being used for things. Kind of the same with the major. She does one. She does the same thing with one of these gynoids and takes one over to help out. Uh, by toe
0: and i think this scene is well framed it's well shot choreographed the score works well and so do the colors and lighting so on those technical aspects it's really well done yeah. and now we get to really the crux honestly of the movie where we learn these kids are uh being like kidnapped and their ghosts are being put into these gynoid gynoid bodies Bateau says something strange that really loses me here when he says this is the dirty little secret that makes locus sola so popular what ah uh, okay it's a dirty little secret but it makes him popular so apparently it's not a secret
1: yeah I never got that line in the Japanese dub um, <sighs> he says something a little bit different I I, I don't know what exactly what he says, but I know that it isn't that line that he said. He doesn't ever say, come on and say that, yeah, this is how what makes lo- uh, Locus soul is so popular. He says something different.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, so I once again, I wish they would make a little better choices with the translation because this really loses me because he's saying it as if Somehow, Section 9 didn't know this until now, but all of their clients knew that they were getting young girls trapped in prostitute robots. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's not a big deal, though, since it technically wasn't in the original version. Uh, so, But we do get this little girl from the holograph photo. And help me remember, yes. is she from... Did he get that out of Kim's house? Out of one of his books?
1: So... Okay, so you the know problem? that crime scene that they go to in the beginning where we kind of meet Kusanagi? Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Ishikawa for the first time. That's where he got the photo is he pulled it out of the book.
0: That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that is kind of confusing why he has that photo because that girl was not in that body, I presume, because she is still coherent. She has not been moved up to level five or phase five or whatever they say.
1: Right, right. So, yeah, she was kidnapped, and they were also kind of looking for her as well. That's why he has a photo. Um, but, yes, she is... Essentially, what happens is they capture these girls, and then they put them inside of these ghost dubbing machines, and so they can... Uh, populate the minds of these uh, dolls as essentially and so yeah they control them and then after so long of being inside these dolls and then being neglected uh they eventually just go nuts and that's why half the half the uh of the kids or most of the kids i think if not all of them except for this one girl uh in this room are basically all dead because their minds have just kind of gone become scrambled egg right inside of this this robot
0: okay i'm very i'm very confused once again When he says, when he starts yelling at this little girl, and he's asking the little girl if she ever cared about the dolls. Like, did you ever care about what the dolls thought? I don't get this at all.
1: Yeah, this is kind of confusing. Uh, Still a little bit confusing for me. Um, I do know that, uh, I don't know if he's looking, I don't know if he's screaming at the little girl um, necessarily as he is. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Um, But I think he's more or less just mad that they that this company whoever's in charge of it decided this was even a good idea, um, but this also kind of comes back. I mean, even it really even could be the little girl. It also kind of comes back to this dialogue where they're talking about a little or a yeah a little uh, girl or a child playing with a doll, because uh, you have this form, this little this thing that looks in, like a human but is being controlled by a human, and we have kind of this odd visual of uh, what, you know, asking ourselves, well, what does it mean to be human? And so, with then taking into account the title of the movie, Innocence, perhaps it's just the little girl was uh, just messing around in this uh, In the cyborg, didn't exactly know what she was doing. It's kind of hard to know, even I'm a bit confused on this as well, but I feel like, uh, Like, I think it does explain, but just in a more subtle way.
0: I feel like what they're trying to say is, and what they've been saying, is that so computers were able to create their own soul, like with the puppet master, and become this true intelligence that is no longer artificial, it's actually real intelligence. So I almost feel like what, what they're saying is, it's like, what if... These dolls, which are patterned after humans, also are trapped and they have souls and feelings and we just use them like little puppets or something or little playthings, and we discard them. We're not even caring about their feelings. I think that's possibly what they're trying to say, but honestly, I, I think that's stupid. So.
1: Well, that's kind of what they say. Um, they have gotten advanced enough from what they see. They have gotten advanced enough where the cyborgs are more human-like in their thoughts, but we find out later that they are actually just little girls in, who have essentially taken over these gynoids, and that's why they've gone into this rage and killed their own, killed their masters, and then tried to self, as they say, self-terminate or commit suicide, um, because they are sex bots after all. So that's kind of where I was getting it from: is that not necessarily that every robot, or every cyborg. Is got like a mind of its own, but it's got a human mind inside of it, and because they are not in a, because they are a not a human body and b had things happen to them, they kind of just go insane. I think that's what I was getting out of it. Um, not necessarily that the AI that there's AI in them. So,
0: what do you make of the last shot then, when Bateau gets this eerie feeling looking at this doll, and then the shot lingers on him for a while and That's the end.
1: I think, given the fact that he's essentially saved uh, the little girl uh, from becoming what happens to everybody else, um, and then seeing this doll at the end with Togusa's daughter, um, I think. Well, once again, that thing, that title of innocence, kind of comes back here. I think that he's more or less okay with it now um, because he realizes. That yes, everything can coexist together in this world, but there are things that are actually fake. And they, and like this doll that she has, isn't really gonna cause much harm because there's no soul inside of it. There's no like ghost, essentially. I think that's what it's kind of trying to get towards. Um, it definitely leaves it up to the audience to really figure it out.
0: Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Ghost in the Shell 2? To- innocence
1: so if the last one wasn't uh dense this one actually is and there is a reason why it took me forever to get through it there is a ton of stuff to this movie maybe a bit too much which is good and bad because watching it once you're not i don't think you're gonna get everything and it being that as it may it may take away from your experience which sounds like what happened with you Corbin, but I like the, but like the original, unlike the original, the original, I still had fun, even though I didn't completely understand it by my first viewing, and even my second viewing, I still had fun watching it, and that's what kept bringing me back, and here, I still had fun watching, um, but on a different kind of, a different kind of way, because this one, it takes itself a little, really, it takes itself a bit more on a, it takes itself down a path that is very serious, and it which is the same as the first one, but it also likes to spout a lot of philosophical dialogue and has visuals that aren't as appealing to me as the original. So that being said, it kind of brings it down just a little bit. but because I was able to see it again and watch it um, with the prior knowledge of what happened in the first my first viewing, it made for a much better experience and one that I began to understand okay, this is why they do this is why they do this and this is why they do that. The scene with this, the Kim scene is one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie because it is just so visually interesting. And uh, it ha- it says a lot. And this movie is very Japanese and I kind of want to go back and watch it again, just like the original, um, because there is just so much to explore. And that's why I love these movies, the two that we've seen so far, is that they are very dense, But that is for the better because they have so much to them that you can go through and you can look at it in a different way and see something different that you'd never saw saw before, which was the intention of OCE. So overall, I did really enjoy it and I would totally recommend this because it is just so philosophical and asks so many questions about um, what does it mean for uh, how do animals and humans exist on on a similar plane? What does it mean for a little girl to, well, uh, that theme of innocence, little girl and purity, things like that. Very, very interesting. Uh, I wouldn't consider exactly the art style to be as, It's. I would say it's, it's in ways better than the original, but in also ways it's taking away. Um, I just personally prefer the original over this one, but I don't think... I think that if you had changed it in any way, it would have taken away from it. So overall, I did really enjoy Ghost in the Shell: Innocence. I still prefer the original over this one. uh, Eight out of ten. High recommend for me.
0: Well, we landed on different sides of the spectrum on this one. Ghost in the Shell: Two Innocence is personally for me a sad fall from its predecessor. Ghost in the Shell combined glorious animation with thrilling action and engaging drama to ponder deep questions about what it means to be human and the purposes each being serves. Ghost in the Shell 2, on the other hand, is an episodic style story that tries much too hard to be as deep as the original while infusing the story, while infusing with the story much more action and violence. Ultimately, I feel this movie begins, goes, and ends nowhere. I learned nothing nor feel satisfied. Rather, I feel as if I watched an elongated television episode. Yes, the animation is gorgeous, sometimes, and sometimes it feels much cheaper than the original. Haunting scenes with a recycled score don't make up for this movie's lack of coherent storyline and misguided strivings. Overall, I'm giving Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, 5 stars out of 10, with a mild (laughs) not-recommend.
1: Oh, that's unfortunate. (laughs) Like I said, I would highly suggest that you go back and watch it again because it is just that dense. And it's kind of hard to get everything on a first viewing, um, both for good and, and for bad, unfortunately.
0: And I think I, I definitely will go back and watch it again. But I think the philosophical elements of this movie, as we've talked about, just ultimately don't work because I am put off by how many quotes they use because I feel like instead of them trying to come up with ideas they're just spouting off quotes of different philosophers and that doesn't work for me and I do feel like this is honestly a storyline I would see with Ghost in the Shell standalone complex I was expecting a little more out of the movie that's why I feel like this was just a very long episode of that and also i do find the concept interesting of animals being innocent i think the whole thing with dolls can become almost a little silly if we go too far down that road i understand it more symbolically and less as if they have a soul or spirit or whatever but yes it it is interesting because I can reconcile this innocence with uh, Christianity because animals are these sinless creatures that in a way, yes, are uh, more innocent than we are. So that's, that's something very interesting. I know, I think it was like St. Francis would uh, go out and preach to the animals if he had no one to preach to uh, that. That's very interesting to think about. Also in, uh Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov uh there's a flashback kind of talking about how innocent the animals are as well but i i don't feel like yes this movie is dense but not in the right way i feel like the first one is more dense in a better way because it's asking really intriguing questions whereas this one just goes kind of off the rails with certain things that are almost too far maybe i could be mistaken on those Because when I do go back and rewatch it with this meta knowledge, because ultimately this movie doesn't give you the, uh, it doesn't give you kind of almost what you need until the very end. You're kind of missing the key to the puzzle, I would say. So once you have that key, then you can start to unlock everything else, I assume. But I also, I just, coming from the first Ghost in the Shell to this one, I just didn't care for the story as much.
1: Yeah, I and I can understand why you think some of those things, and that's why I'm suggesting seeing it again because it does clear up a lot of questions that you would have on a first viewing. Now, there the reason why Oce didn't go for a bigger movie per se is because he wanted to be he wanted to ask more personal questions, which. Which is what we kind of just talked about. And being very Japanese in nature, he asks these questions of coexisting with animals and humans, things like that. So this is a very personal story. And as director Oshii says, uh, more of an autobiography of what of his internal thoughts. Because he stated that this is a movie that he kind of wanted to make but go on a more personal exploration as to what it, as to what different things mean. Like, what does it mean for uh, this Japanese culture to kind of bring in um, coexisting with animals and humans? Um, things like that with this innocence theme and uh, having children and things like that. And I definitely see that because we do see a lot of pairs in this movie, either twos or threes. And every time a character is off on its own, it never... It almost never ends very well. There are two times when Bateau, where I think it were two times actually in the movie, the whole movie that a character is ever off by himself, well, actually three times, is with Bateau. Once with, at uh, the very beginning when he's in the convenience store, he's off by himself. Again, when he's in the mind maids for a second. And then at the very end, when the major comes in and steps in and helps him out there at the very end. He's never, ever than that, him and Togusa are basically almost always together, or he's with somebody else. This is very much about To's story, and and then it is uh, Togusa's story. But going back to what I was originally saying, this is a, a, a more personal story for the director, and I can per, I can personally see that uh, just in the way that he made this movie and the way that he constructed it and with the dialogue and things like that. I can see that, um, which. Once again, and I think I've mentioned this before, if if I can see that a movie is uh, a passion from the director, um, I it gets high points for me, especially when I can like, tell that they put a lot of work into it. And I can see that here.
0: Well, listeners, that wraps up our discussion for Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Let us know in the comments below what you thought of this movie. We want to engage in some dialogue with you. And hear your thoughts. Is this better than the original Ghost in the Shell? Does it go to philosophical musings that go beyond the questions asked in the first? Or is the first still reigning supreme? We really want to know your thoughts, so make sure to let us know. Make sure to like and share this podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to hear our Ghost in the Shell retrospective series. We also will be reviewing... Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, capping off our Jurassic uh, Park retrospective series. We are also still going full steam ahead with our Halloween series, and we will be talking about the reboot Halloween H20 very soon. And I'm excited to see how that compares with the new reboot. That kind of is the exact same story, but we'll see. We also have some uh, very interesting retrospectives coming up such as uh the suspiria one because the amazon is producing the new movie alan have you seen the trailer yet for the new movie
1: i have and i'm very excited
0: i am extremely intrigued i have never seen any of these movies i will be the newcomer to this one alan has some foreknowledge already he let me borrow his blu-ray copies i'm very excited about those We also have some great reviews over on the YouTube channel where we have some spoiler free, uh, you know, five to eight minute reviews talking about brand new weekend of release movies. So go ahead and subscribe over there as well. Like and share that with your friends. And of course, we are on all of your favorite social media platforms, except for all of them, except for two. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we're on the most popular social media platforms pretty much. Um, and we also have our Patreon system that we uh, go ahead and go subscribe. It's very cheap. If you go to Starbucks, you know, one time, then that's pretty much just how much this costs. If you can go get a $5 Taco Bell meal, it's as expensive as that, but you get so much more out of it. You don't just drink it and it's gone. You don't just eat it and it's gone. This content is yours forever. You're able to download it and enjoy it. So the Patreon link will be in the description below. There are many different tiers that offer content uh, suited just for you. Go ahead and check those out. And we want to say thank you again for coming along with us on this discussion. And we will be coming back once again to continue uh, Ghost in the Shell series. I'm intrigued to see what the next installment brings. But once again, listeners, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.